Hey there, welcome to a new show hosted by me, Charlie Teal. Today we're going to be sitting down with Todd Luby, the executive director of the Ben Film Festival. He is a man who I think is incredibly creative and has done fantastic things for not just the fest, but also Bend in general. Todd is himself a filmmaker. His feature, Be Good, was called Well Acted, Crafted, and Observed by Variety. And his second feature, Lefty, was named one of the top 10 movies of 2009 by Chicago Tribune Metro Mix. His narrative short won a special jury award at Slam Dance in 2011 and best short at the Boston Film Festival. Throw into that mix, he has been married for 12 years and has two kids. So, Todd Luby, thanks for being Charlotte, here today. thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm honored to be your inaugural yeah, guest. Yeah, well, you, were, you, know, you and I have known each other now for a couple of years and you know, serving on the board of the Ben Film Fest, I've gotten to know you and mm -hmm. gotten to work with you a good bit. And it's been, it's been really fun becoming friends and I couldn't think of anybody else I'd want to start this off with. Well, so. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise, Charlie. Yeah. So reading your bio from when you were in Chicago, you know, it says that you taught yourself filmmaking mm -hmm. and that you became a full-time filmmaker after working for a construction company for several years. Mm -hmm. What I want to know is backing up further than that. Mm -hmm. Why filmmaking? What, mm -hmm. what, was it always a passion? Was this something you came to after college or did mm -hmm. you always know you wanted to be a filmmaker? Like yeah. what, what launched you in a creative direction mm -hmm. and not just like a straight business direction? Yeah, it was, um, I would say going back to high school, you know, interested in being an engineer and, and, you know, I was always looking at, well, I entered college as a civil engineering student, um, but became quickly disillusioned with that um, in the freshman, in my freshman year. And over the spring course of that year, I took, um, there's this course, English 103. There were no real film curriculum, at least at University of Illinois back in those days. Okay. And, and I would say very few schools had some kind of film curriculum you know okay. in the early to mid 90s so uh it was english 103 was the thing but it was an intro to film and uh you know it, it was it just kind of blew me away you know um i had sort of gotten a little interested in film let's say senior year of high school and that but living in chicago i lived on the far south side and you really couldn't see any sort of independent films down there you'd have to travel up to the north side downtown where that stuff was playing mm -hmm. and I kind of started doing that a little bit when I was a senior maybe saw a couple and um, you know that helped kind of shape me but I, I mean I do remember you know vivid recollections of um, you know my first introduction to like seeing a film that was you know either you know a comedy or horror movie or just a blockbuster say as a kid or one that was done by an auteur you know like mm -hmm. i let's you know i grew up with two older sisters so one of their favorite movies was the outsiders because you had the brad pack you know you had right. um you know swayze rob lowe and all those guys right, right. um so but for me as a kid you know kind of growing up in a city and in, in a neighborhood that you know sort of had these quasi gangs they weren't 
gangs, but you know. So I identified them with them too and love the movie, but I always remember like looking at, um, you know, watching that movie and, and seeing something different that I hadn't seen in other movies. Like I, you know, um, I, I particularly remember there's this one just great scene of, um, of Diane Lane and uh, C. Thomas Howell, Pony Boy. And it's sort of, it's shot, um, you know, in the magic hour, which I've known subsequently, obviously, the magic hour, but it's like right before the big rumble or something. And I, I have vivid recollections of seeing that scene and, and then being like struck by kind of a, kind of an intent behind, you know, something more deep than what you're just seeing the characters doing right, and stuff right, you know you're right. you're sort of paying attention for the first time to cinematography so let's say that that's when i'm like seven or eight or nine you know so you know little introductions with actual cool cinema had been few and far between um until college and then i took this english 103 and it, you know it kind of takes you through uh we saw about three or four hitchcock movies and you know it was sort of a joke in that, you know, like, oh, you got to do English 103 and watch movies. Right. And it, right. they really did have a cool um, space where it was tiered seating and they had they had laser discs. <laughs> this was 93. Yeah, yeah. The so, big, like those big yeah, laser so discs really where you slide yep. it into a giant player. They were really excited to show like Apocalypse Now on this, right. on this laser yeah, disc, I which they, those. I believe they did have to pause have halfway to through it? and flip it. <laughs> it's I'm like a record. Sure. Um, but that was a big deal, you know, and, um, you know, so yeah, it, it started Hitchcock and then you see all these movies, these classic movies, um, you know, Daughters of the Dust and, um, um, oh, the Maya Duran one, um, uh, Meshes of the Afternoon, these classic things of cinema. And then I think, you know, Apocalypse was probably the last movie we saw. So, right. so that kind of, bring, you know, and then you're just blown away. And then I remember, you know, kind of sitting in the front row of that thing uh, on purpose, knowing I was gonna see something and then sure enough, you know, then just being totally taken with the, the, the um, you know, the next three hours were just like. Well, right, so um, is that what like took you, knocked you off of the civil engineering track yeah, and you're like, yeah. I am all in on film, like this is my in, in, passion? In theory, but again, you know, there's no curriculum, so. Right. Uh, during that time, it was it was pretty confusing because I know like engineering's just you know as sort of uh, um, I don't know an occupation or a vocation in life. I'm like mm, it's not totally grabbing me, um, and trying to figure out what to do then. So the only option then is to be an English major and you would have like a film minor, right? But they didn't even have really a film minor there, so. What I did was, um, and I had so much advice to like, you know, just knuckle down and, and do the engineering for four years. Right. And just, you know, get that so you have something to fall back on. And, um, uh, you know, then you could pursue whatever this artistic thing afterward because it, and it's true, it, didn't, it wouldn't have necessarily done <laughs> me much good to have pursued this sort of film track at that right, time right um and it's much different now than it was then in that uh now a kid can go through a film class or some kind of curriculum and they can actually get there's way more jobs in media production than there ever uh, were and there's uh, way more need i mean the, okay. the amount of content being produced is you know uh infinitely more than it was right. in 1997 right, there were no yeah. jobs when i um 
when I graduated, but now there's thousands. So yeah, I mean, now you've got like Netflix making something like insane, like 800 productions yeah. that they've committed to for the next couple of years or and per it, I mean, year. It, you know, because there's more people doing it, it's not necessarily easier to get your stuff on screen. It is, but I guess what I'm saying is now you have every company, you know, wants video content. Mm -hmm. You need you know, weddings are way more lucrative than they were back then, uh, you mm -hmm. know. So let's say you just want to make a living doing it, you know, freelancing or whatever. There's way more options to do it now than there were. You know, you could, everyone wants video content mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they want people that are good at it, whatever. So you can make money um, doing it a much more you could than, you know, in the late 90s or whatever. So um, what I wound up doing was I, I did get out of engineering, but... I was still always and really um, interested in, um, you know, environmental uh, issues, uh, let's say, and, okay. and uh, water quality. So I, I should back up and say that this civil engineering program, um, the environmental engineering was underneath the, the civil thing. There wasn't okay. a separate okay. sort of civil gotcha. um, thing. So I was always, in, you know, really, I didn't want to give that up necessarily. Um, you know, commitment and interest in, in, you know, protecting and, and correcting, you know, bad right, things in the right. environment. So I basically did a, a double major of English and uh, biology that had an environmental. Okay. In. Okay. And then I, you know, well, that, that takes me through undergrad and um, then I went on to grad school in, uh, and I actually took uh, environmental science and civil engineering was my, was what I got a master's in. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but it was during, like, it was the last semester of my master's year that a friend came to me and said, hey, uh, they're looking for people to be, a, they're doing a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest play. Um, do you want to audition uh, with me? I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Right. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm like, I, <laughs> I was always interested in acting, but I, I right. never, um, never was in a play or anything, you know. Um, can't sing, you know, they had talent contests and <laughs> talent shows at school and whatnot. Right, yeah. Never in the high school plays and stuff. I was always right. doing sports. So um, that opportunity came and I auditioned and, um, and, and got a part of, uh, um, Ch was it Cheswick? Cheswick is, uh, you know, he's kind of uh, this little toady to uh, McMurphy. Okay, um, yeah. And just kind of loves McMurphy and follows him around and um, and anyway, it was it was a really fun experience, and I got a lot of encouragement from that, like people saying, well, you know, you're actually pretty good. Um, and I just never thought about it before, but I had a, such a good time um, doing it that I wanted to, um, I, I definitely left grad school, you know, with a really good degree in a really hot job market, but I found myself kind of turning down jobs to to see what I could do with this acting thing and, um, and uh, then got into improv in Chicago. But at the same time, it was really interesting. I was with a friend and he, um, he was, uh, even though he's from Chicago, he was doing a, a, a year of volunteer service in Portland and he was working with this group. And he said, uh, so we get equipment for what I'm doing for these guys that I'm helping with veterans and other people um, in, in like addicts and recovery and things. And he got, it was like overstock.com or something. It was back in 99. And he's like, I know you're interested in film and here's, check this out, I got a, a digital camera. 
So it was a mini D, one of really early um, versions of a mini DV camera. Okay. So this is 99, the thing was made in 98. And it really could fit in my pocket. I mean, it was really cool in that, um, what, are, what are those cameras that um, are already obsolete? The uh, flip cam? Yeah, was that what it was? Flip, right, yeah. I mean, it they were the size little, of that. It was just a little, it was like a yeah. tall, right. flip like cam. packet of cigarettes sort exactly. of size. And yeah. yeah. So it was that size, but it could fit a mini DV tape in. Right. Oh my God. And, uh, right. So it was really interesting. So, you know, because before then, all video cameras were, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, not DVC cam, but. Um, but big, beta, beastly things. Yeah, I mean, like, either you had the big ones where you throw an actual VHS tape in, right. or you had those ones that had a kind of a bigger tape, but those were still pretty bulky. Yeah, this one yeah. could literally fit in my pocket. So I spent a lot of the good portions of my early 20s bringing that wherever we went and I would just film whatever stupid things uh you know my friends and I were doing right and um I do remember when he handed me that camera that I also had the manual and I remember I didn't sleep that night just going through the manual and kind uh, of okay. seeing like all the crap you could do with it whether you had editing, I mean, I didn't even, at that point, didn't know editing software or anything. I right, was just, right. I mean, it had all these in-camera effects. Right. Like, I could fade out if I wanted right. to. I could do this. I could, I could, you know, if I planned ahead enough, I could have a fully cut video that has cool effects or transitions uh -huh. right in the camera. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, and then that's kind of, I would just do that little by little by little by little, just shoot hundreds of hours of stuff. And then um, I kind of taught myself how to edit just using two VHSs. <laughs> yes. And I, it was some garage sale or something where I found this little sound mixer and I kind of figured out, you know, how to, it was really, yeah. So I would like, I would have the DV tape. So I'd run it through my camera and then I would just hit, you know, record on the VCR, uh -huh. pause. So I get the thing playing on the, on the thing. So I basically cut it on the VCR and so then I have one tape with the cut I wanted, but then I know I wanted to add VO and I wanted to add music. Right, right. So then I would have the two VCRs run, uh, you know, do the same thing, you know, record. And you, right. gotta, you need two fingers because it's, play, it's right. play record yes, yeah, yeah. and pause and do that. And then I'd run through my mixer and I had a little and microphone and I'd do my VO. So then I did a, you know, a, um, a uh, music track. Right. And then I, you know, have the music tracked one, right. and then run it through again, and then do the VO. And, and so, like, all of this is happening while you're also working in a professional environment right. as well. Yeah, so like, I did wind up, like, I took that summer off after I got my master's, and, uh, um, I, and I was just out, you know, it was a function of kind of where I lived in kind of a highly politically connected neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Um, you know, and I was out with this guy um, whose dad owned this big construction company, and he said, hey, um, you know, you, you have this degree in engineering. And I said, well, it's not in construction. He goes, doesn't matter. They just need people. They need people. They need people. Here, I'll have my dad call you. So the next day, his dad calls me, and he's like, hey, we, you know, you want a job? You know, and <laughs> I was like, mm, I don't know, you know. Right. And he's like, what? What do you mean you don't know? He's <laughs> like, this is, this is Walsh Construction. Do you understand? We're the biggest company in Chicago. Right. And I'm like, oh, 
uh, okay. Like, I did not know so that. So anyway, a really good guy and a great family. Um, you know, so it's like if you want a big job or you want to work for a big corporation that's a $4 billion corporation, like this is the one where it's still, it's not public, it's family owned. Right, right. They're good, you know, uh, you know, Irish guys that I've, the type of the people that I've mm -hmm. always known. So, you know, they still fit into that thing. So it's like, oh, okay, you know, I guess I need a job. I can't, you know, uh, be mooching off my parents and I really don't know what else to do. I mean, I could still have this job and I can do improv at right. night, which right. I was doing. So I would, I would literally go to this job every day and then I would, um, um, I think I had improv once or twice a week or whatever. And I lived on the far south side still. And I would go to this job and then go to the north side early and then sit in a coffee shop and like write or, you know, think about this movie I was working on or whatever and, and then go to improv. Um, and do that, and then the next night, then I would tinker around on, yeah. on the, um, you know, this other so movie where, stuff. So where in all that time frame did you meet Monica? Or is that? Um, yeah, Monica uh, was, uh, so this was in about 99, and then Monica wound up, um, so the friend I was saying that, um, that gave me the camera, he was working with Monica uh, in his volunteer program in Portland. Okay. So they were friends. Um, and uh, Monica, in O two or whatever, was looking to go to grad school. And she was, uh, University of Chicago had a great program in social service administration. So okay. she came, visited, while I was living with this friend, she came, visited, and, um, um, and to check out U of C. And I have a vivid recollection of one of the nights she, she stayed with us, uh, it was, it was a state of the union in like, oh two with Bush. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, like my buddies, you know, were totally apolitical. Um, but so we were the only two like in the living room, right. like, are you, do you believe right. this? This is insane. Right. Like Monica's freaking is, out. You're yeah, freaking like, out. And you're what, like, war, what? We have connection here, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So we were like, are you, this guy is a moron. <laughs> And, and he's talking about like, this war? Are you, I mean, what? So basically, it's Bush that brought you two together. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, he's not all bad. Yeah, right, right. There is an upside there. There's an upside, yeah. The, the so, resistance kind of, you know, like that's when a yeah. lot of people have come together yeah. in a, in a resistance then, is good. So then you jump ahead a few years and you leave the construction company to become a full-time filmmaker? Yeah, so in about, well, yeah, it's in, in, you know, while I was in construction, there, there were some really good things about it. I mean, like, I really liked the people I worked with. I really liked sort of being on a construction site, and it, it, was, it was really kind of fascinating, uh, what, do, what do I want to say, like, uh, sociology, you know, in, okay. in, in a way, like, like that's... I mean, I, I, you know, I did like math and figuring things out and learning new things, of course. I mean, I have an, I have an engineering mind. But sociologically, I thought it was, it was super fascinating. Okay. Um, you know, like, in, interestingly enough, and, and this is how Monica and I probably bonded more, is that she was going to the school at the University of Chicago, she wound up doing. And uh, my, the job I was working on was the University of Chicago was this, uh, we were building this athletic center okay. um, by this um, um, uh, famous architect, Cesar Pelli, who did the Patronus Towers in Malaysia. Those are like two like 
honeycomb deals. Yeah, yeah, It used yeah, to okay. be the tallest right. building in the world. Um, and I, I was on that site for two years, however long she was in the, um, at, at doing grad school. So that was pretty interesting. So we'd have lunch sometimes and, yeah. um, you know, I would hang out after and we'd go to Jimmy's, this awesome bar on 55th Street. And um, complain about Bush. Exactly. <laughs> Can't believe it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, which is fascinating because University of Chicago, they say, is the, the birthplace of the neo the neocon mindset. Right. <clears throat> Levi Strauss or something. A lot of, a lot of crazy things happen in the University of Chicago um, on both sides. But um, um, so I was working on that project. Um, wait, what was your question again? <laughs> Talking uh. about uh, when you decided to leave the construction oh, company, right. go into filmmaking full time. Yeah, so I was going to say, you know, so it was really, um, it, it was sociolo sociologically very interesting to be on right. a construction site because you had people of all walks of life, all races, all ethnicities, all you know, religions, all ages, all, um, all classes, which was mm -hmm. really interesting. You know, you have developers and you have architects who are kind of like artists. And then you had kind of us as the construction managers sitting in the trailer. We're kind of like the directors of this whole operation. And, you know, like uh, going back to the developers are like the producers. Had, they have the money. They have the overall thing. We're the directors mm -hmm. dealing with them, the pressures of the producers, but also then are like then all of the um, construction workers were essentially the actors, like, you know, right. and the architects, the, the screenwriter. And, you know, so we're, we're in charge of directing all these actors. And, um, and, you know, Chicago's a big union town too, so then there's all sorts of other interesting things that come on when, you know, someone's threatening a strike or someone is striking, then everyone strikes, you know, the, the solidarity with other unions, whether, you know, if it's, the electrical guys or you know or steel guys at you right. know if there's there's um um some strike everyone else and then the job will stop and you know everyone goes crazy for a while um <laughs> so, so you, you were getting good experience in how to manage people at all different levels and all mm -hmm. this stuff and in all competing in you know uh, everyone i mean it, everyone has the same ultimate goal to build a building but everyone has a, a, a competing and potentially conflicting interest in doing it because, um, you know, just because it costs money and, and, yeah. and it's definitely, um, you know, the finite there, you know, it's like, this is going to cost more than initially anticipated. So who's going to pay for right, it? I'm not going right. to pay for it. Okay. And then you fight about that or whatever. And, <clears throat> but then, you know, the interesting thing is, is then, you know, it's cause University of Chicago is in, I, I guess you could call it an integrated neighborhood on the South side of Chicago, but, um, there's also um, neighborhoods that are, are relatively poor right around there. And, you know, unemployment's high. So, uh, you know, people in surrounding neighborhoods were saying, well, no one from our neighborhood is working on this job that's a mile away from here. This is ridiculous. You got mm -hmm. all these guys coming in from the suburbs or wherever else. <coughs> um, so then, you, you know, we have, we have um, community activists and and people striking outside the gate and aldermen calling me. I mean, it is really interesting. One of the, um, I'll never forget is when I was, you know, whatever, 25 or something, an alderman in a close neighborhood, um, uh, her name's Tony Preckwinkle, and she actually was, she was one of the top two people 
for uh, Chicago mayor this year. Oh. And I just remember getting this call one day and the secretary transferred to me for some reason, but she's like, what are you doing? You know, I just like, I pick up the phone and she's like, <laughs> she's, literally just yelling at me. I go, whoa. I'm like, right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't make any decisions You're like, here. You're, yeah, I'm not I'm the like, one you want to talk I hear you. I mean, that, that does sound terribly unfair. <laughs> I wish I could do something about it. Anyway, it was pretty funny. And then, you know, obviously she rose up the political ranks. Right. So jumping ahead then, like, yeah, like once you become a... So you were, you were a full-time filmmaker for, a, what, a period of a couple of years, yeah. right? Well, I was, you know, while I was on that construction job, that, you know, all these things were happening. And then one day it just clicked. I was at my friend's bachelor party. And um, I, I got up early in the morning, and everything just kind of clicked in my head, like, that's a great movie. Like, everything that I was experiencing on this construction site, I was like, whoa, you know. And then, I so I had this idea for a movie, and then, you know, really quickly wrote kind of a rough script and then was just hell-bent on making this into a feature film. Because mm -hmm. at that point, um, that was right after uh, the Richard Linklater did this movie called Tape in 2001. Okay. And it was just, a, it was Ethan Hawke and the other guy from um, Dead Poets Society and uh, Uma Thurman. It was just them three in a hotel room. And Linklater said he shot it over six days with two vi di digital cameras, kind of like the one I had. So I'm like, that's it. You know, like, like, I can do I'm this. I'm going to set this in a construction trailer and just do the same thing <clears throat> and have all these crazy things happening right. to this person. And, and, you know, then kind of internalizing, which may or may not have been a mistake, but like the lead, <laughs> the lead character is someone who's conflicted and like, yes, I want to do this job. I'm into this job, um, but I also would love to be an actor. You right. know, so then it's like a, just a day in the life of this guy uh, in that conflict of wanting to be an actor, but uh, wanting to do the right thing mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. at the job and whatever. So, yeah. So <clears throat> then I, I sort of quit the job to try to make that movie, but they didn't make it easy to quit because <laughs> um, they were still, they're like, yeah, hey, you can make the movie and, you know, work part time. And I was like, okay. So I, I did that. I made that movie, tried to make that movie while I was working part time. Um, and then that construction company eventually hired me to shoot a, just this documentary about making an air traffic controller at O'Hare Airport. Um, and then they were paying me pretty handsomely, nice. almost as much as it was a construction, so I could quit that job. And then that's when I started doing film full time. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then how far, like, jump ahead to you you get contacted or or did how did you hear about ben film where did where did that come in yeah so you know i'd been uh making films doing what i was talking about earlier like you know i was shooting weddings and doing these things to just kind of pay the bills and and then making artistic films on the side and luckily having you know uh money saved up from my construction thing um so i, I you know i had a few movies that did okay on the fest circuit and I was always really interested in moving out west, you know. Right, right. You know, I and like at Chicago this point, a lot, you have kids. I mean, it's you and Monica. Yeah. Are you married, I'm assuming, at this point? Yeah. So I was working, uh, you know, full-time as a filmmaker in 2010 when our first daughter was born, Tessa. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, still doing that and when the economy was bad. So... It was it was a little hairy for a while and, and worried worrisome and whatnot nerve wracking, and um, and then our you know our second uh, child um, 
you know, when Monica uh, was pregnant with our second child, Seamus, then we knew, like, we, okay, we do want to move west. Um, no one remotely seems interested in hiring me in Portland. And, and at that point, I was like, I, I don't care what I do for work. I just want to be out west, and I want to be in a different environment, and, you know, um, I want to be close to nature and I want to be in a place that sort of appreciates mm -hmm. artists and is just a little bit more loose um, than Chicago and uh, been trying for a couple of years to move out to Portland. Um, but when our second child came, was coming, we said, well, we got it. We'll, we're going to do it now or never because, right. you know, right. second one comes in and it's just going to be harder every day um, to move. So then we just really kind of set a deadline essentially that you know, in, in the spring of 14, we're going out west regardless. And very coincidentally and luckily, this job for Ben Film was listed in uh, January of 14 or February of 14. Um, and I didn't even see it, but Monica saw it because she was on a, a, a jobs list. Um, and luckily, Ben Film had posted it, say, on Portland's Craigslist or something. So, right. Um, so I answered it and, and, you know, at that point I had written a hundred cover letters and resumes and I sort of got it down to a science of how to stand out in a job market that was weak, you know, because every job you're going for has tons of applicants, mm -hmm. you know. So this one had probably, I think they said 200 applicants or something for, and they were looking for two positions at that time. So, right. yeah, so luckily, you know, I got my foot in the door with the first interview and I thought it did well on Skype and then... The second, they said, why don't you come out and meet us? And uh, that's when the first time I was in Bend. And uh, I loved it right away, and I loved just the idea of the job mm -hmm. um, right away. So um, uh, luckily, you know, they offered me a job, right, and right. it was still a difficult decision after that because it wasn't, you know, a ton of money, and we're uprooting everyone and moving across the country. Right. And, uh, you know, um, but, you know, we just basically said we got to we got to go for it let's do and, it and how did that gel with you know at this point obviously it seems like you were in you were pursuing a creative path yeah you're like you're trying mm -hmm. to make it as a filmmaker and right. doing what you need to do to support mm -hmm. your family in that process mm -hmm. i would imagine the as as the ben film job showed up that you were like okay, it's still creative, it's still film, it's still all mm -hmm. that, but it's like the management side or the, mm -hmm. you know, it's a different aspect of that, yeah. of that field. Was mm -hmm. that, I don't know, how did that feel to you? Did it feel like, okay, this is a cool, like, sort of lateral move yeah. within film or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, how much say... of that passion to make film mm -hmm. was pushing you away or pushing right. you in or? Yeah, so... You know, while Tessa was six months, it was when I made my last narrative feature, you know, so she's six months old. I was at home with her and, um, you know, money was tight and, you know, long-term security seemed, um, you know, not very secure. So <laughs> Non-existent. Exactly. So, you know, I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm going to make this one last narrative feature and if it does well, I can keep going. If it doesn't necessarily do well, then, you know, I'll, I'll say I gave him my best and do right. something else. And, um, and it was sort of a little of both. I mean, it was a really difficult production because 
Tessa, who was six months, played this baby yes. in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was all about how difficult it was to be parents to, you know, a kid yeah. who didn't like to sleep and um, was, and I can say was I knew that a little colicky. Firsthand, yeah. A little colicky. So it was, you know, and then there's just pressures of financial and everything else while, you know, um, while, you know, it was difficult to raise a baby. And at the same time, I was, you know, I got the opportunity to adapt this book. So I was working, trying to work on a script for that, and it, it just, it was all impossible. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good movie. So um, I just wrote a script for the, that thing and then shot it um, and then was working on that while um, home and everything. So it, it just, and, you know, the, the film came out good. I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a better cut still out there that, you right. know, sometime I will uh, <clears throat> go back to, but... The lead actress in the movie is uh, Amy Simons, and Amy was just in, the, you know, she was the lead in the, in the latest Pet Cemetery. Okay. And she was in Aliens Covenant. Okay. And she directs, and I think she's in it too, of uh, The Girlfriend Experience on Stars, which is one of the bigger shows. And, you know, um, yeah, she's doing something else crazy now too, I forget. But, like, you know, she's well known, not only in just indie circles, but now in, in now the establishment, the world, which is really yes. great. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that uh, film would have done more and like pushed me along the the path, you know, and getting into bigger festivals, which is pretty important mm -hmm. to you know to build a, a filmmaking career. And that didn't necessarily happen. So I'm like, okay, fine, you know, like right, I said, right. I was going to do it. I'm going to do, you know, then I'll just see what else. Ha you know, I'll get a real job. I don't care, and um, and uh, you know, um, see what happens. But interestingly enough like through the making of that movie and i had a couple other shorts that were doing really well on the fest circuit um yeah you know just that experience being on the festival circuit and and working with film festivals to help them programming absolutely was stuff on my resume and mm -hmm. my cover letter that got this job right you know right so i just thought it you know is was sort of the perfect kind of culmination of what I've been working on since then because I right. have you know I have like I said this mathematical and engineering mind at, at its very root that has you know there's some I'm left-handed so I guess you know I'm sort of equally mixed in right and left brain or <laughs> right, something right so you know and then I have all this um, business management experience from the construction mm -hmm. days and um, I have this film experience you know when I was a filmmaker mm -hmm. and then um I, I should say, you know, right before Seamus, our second was born, I was the executive director of a nonprofit. So That's right. I had the nonprofit yeah. experience as well. So I had, right. you know, business management and nonprofit <clears throat> management experience and, um, and this film experience. So to me, it was just like, well, that, you know, it makes sense to, to run a film do festival. You find, do you find the running the film festival, like, is that, does that also satisfy the creative urge as well? Yeah, I would say very much so. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I'll get ideas now and again when, you know, I let my mind not think about work. <laughs> <laughs> right. So good, interesting ideas come come to me that I was like, oh, that would, yeah, that'd be an interesting short if I ever wanted to make it. But, you know, it's just like your mind will go, I think, where your interests go. And, um, you know, I, I would say it doesn't feel like a, uh, a missing out on anything you know right, like right. making a movie is incredibly hard making a you know a, a narrative feature and you know the be good the last one I shot was um, 
you know, we shot it for maybe $10,000 feature film with, you know, a de decent um, actors and such. Um, that's really hard to do, and it takes yeah, it takes yeah. its toll, especially when you're in your late thirties. And um, you know, so I don't necessarily miss it at all, and I still kind of exercise that muscle. Um, you know, when I just shoot, I shoot, um, you know, videos of my kids. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I'm like totally fine. You know, making a, a bike movie every year about my right. son and his biking. You know, like. In, in fact, on Sunday is going to be the, my return to the festival world, and, and uh, uh, this short I made and showed here in town is going to be playing at Portland's Film by Bike Film oh, yeah? Fest. Yeah. Um, so that's the first like fest I was actually in in probably like five years, which is interesting. Right, right. Uh, but it, you know, it's just fun, and like you know, I just exercise that muscle, and I, I like being around people that are interested in mm -hmm. film, and it's great to you know go to film fest and still talk to shop and see people that say you know i was uh on the fest circuit with mm -hmm. back when mm -hmm. i was doing it you know seeing them doing great things right. and seeing them on netflix and it's really cool to see and then you know catching up that you know you can sort of interact with them like peers and um uh I, yeah i get a lot of satisfaction and I, it's very creative every day is extremely creative in how we run the business and, and just how we, you know, manage events and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it, it's a, it, it's a job that really allows you to, to exercise a lot of creative, uh, energy. If I'm not, you know, not making films, but I, I still edit some stuff that we, you know, we'll put out some videos and right. I'll be editing and right. you know, I'll, I'll do a lot of that stuff too. But you know, it's just putting things together is, it's fun. Well, and also I want to talk about. It seems that you you've had a big impact on the growth of the fest mm. since you came on in 2014. Like you, one of the things I know I remember you doing right off the rip was trying to get more filmmakers and actors mm -hmm. and producers, yeah. directors, like people from productions, get them out here right. for the fest. Yeah. And I thought that was that was a genius move because mm -hmm. it's part of what makes the fest fun is interacting with getting to know or at least getting to meet yeah. these people that made these things happen. Yeah, yeah. I think you know the inter most interesting thing about Ben Film is um, you know when I was a filmmaker, I I would submit to Ben Film because I always want. I mean, I wanted to move to Oregon. Right. I'd never been to Ben, but I heard about it. I heard it's cool. But the fest itself, um, you know, was was kind of a best kept secret among filmmakers. I think back in, um, you know, it, it had a really hot start, and then I think, you know, um, in 2007, after Eric Jambor left, who has a lot of cachet in the the festival world, like um, in the the recession hit here, I think, you know, the fest took a little dip mm -hmm. um, as far as its national profile. Um, and uh, I was surprised, you know, it, and when I came here to look, uh, you know, to, for the, uh, the interview, I was just blown away. Like, I was still a filmmaker at that point, so I, you know, I'm in a, in a situation where I'm like, I'm coming to a town that I've never been to, and whoa, this is cool. Right, right. So that's, you know, like, so I, I'm like, any filmmaker who steps off a plane in Redmond and looks west is going to be, whoa, 
never expected this. Right. And then it's going to walk downtown and go, this is awesome. You know, because I've had those experiences as a filmmaker in other fests, right. like, you know, going to the Florida Film Fest where they take you in this magical theater, the Enzian, which is amazing. And you just never expect these things and, and you know, you're blown away. Or Wilmington, North Carolina, where I went to Kukaloris, it's like Wilmington, you know, <laughs> heard about it forever, but what a cool town, you know? Right. And just how, you know, the town of Brazier uh, and how, you know, um, so, when I came to the job, I realized that the travel budget for filmmakers was really low. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the first moves I made was like, well, we got to change that because I'm no good filmmaker. And I'm not even saying I was a good filmmaker, but I wouldn't go to, a, at, at that point in my career, I wouldn't go to a film fest unless they paid for my hotel and flight. I mean, you know? just economically, right. like you're struggling enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're rolling uh -huh. in money when yeah. you're an independent filmmaker. Yeah, to I mean, then I, go to a fest that you have to pay for the flight for and the hotel for and everything. Exactly. And you, like, how does that? You can't. You're like, I can't justify yeah. that. I mean, the especially big ones if you have small kids or. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, if you're paying six hundred bucks a pop to go and you have small kids and stuff, it's just yeah. I can't go. I'm, I'm so happy that the film's going to play there. I hope it does well, but yeah, sorry. And uh, um, you know, the, like I would fly myself out to slam dance. Um, and if I got in a bigger fest, obviously I'd pay for those because you could kind of see it. But, you know, for a fest like Ben, it's like, um, I totally want to go. I would love to go and maybe I can build a vacation in here. But if I can't, and I've got to take off to work or something. Mm -hmm. So I want, you know, my, so I was able to kind of save money elsewhere and convince the board to, um, you know, put this pot of money in so that we could fly filmmakers out um, so that we could sort of elevate get the right filmmakers here so that it can then ele elevate the profile and mm -hmm. and uh, then hopefully capitalize that and get more and more filmmakers out and stuff like that. Um, so when it seems like seem just from what I've seen in the last couple of years, when you have those filmmakers here, it's also opportunities for them to network and make better yeah. connections between uh -huh. each other. Right. And I have to imagine that that is that has an impact as well of like you mm -hmm. can as a filmmaker, you not only are meeting other filmmakers mm -hmm. that you sort of tangentially known and stuff, but you're also creating connections that maybe help you in your next production or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's the main thing. It's always good to show your work and have it be absorbed and, uh, mm -hmm. let's say analyzed and appreciated by an audience that you hear directly from. Um, you know, that's not why anyone makes movies necessarily, but it's awesome to hear. It's very validating. Yeah, yeah. And if I didn't do that, um, if I didn't receive that feedback, you know, you would keep going. Um, it just helps you keep going. But at the same time, you know, film fests are tremendous uh, networking um, opportunities and, and they really do build a lot of collaborations. You do, over two days at a film fest, you you bond really strongly with people you just met and right. you know you see their work and you appreciate oh i like you know like who who shot that who you shot oh wow can we work together and right. you know like so much of that stuff um happens for filmmakers at film fest so it, it's sort of it's really it's really um unfortunate when you can't go to a film fest when your film's showing right, because right. you do miss opportunities and then, you know, the people they meet do become collaborators in the future and, also, and your work gets better, you know. And also, 
looking at the economic growth of the Ben Film Festival mm -hmm. since you came on. I mean, what what did you say the economic? It was like the overall economic impact of the Film Fest was. Oh, yeah. Um, I I don't know what let's say it was, but let's say or, now we could say, you know that over the four days, like, you know, people that attend the festival might spend upward of, you know, a million and a half dollars uh, in Central Oregon like over those four days. Like as an economic impact as an economic four impact. days. You know, and that's like without multipliers and stuff. But right. yeah, I mean, you know, you get 13, 1400 tourists coming in. Um, and um, even the people that come from Ben, which is at least 75% of our audience. Yeah they're spending a ton of money because they're yeah. staying out all day and, and staying downtown and and they're sort of you know experiencing the town as a tourist i know people that live in town that get places at the oxford or get places mm -hmm. at McMenamins or doubletree and they just do the fest for right. four days right um and they're eating at restaurants shopping doing whatever yep. and you know sort of living living like a tourist it's it's pretty interesting and so what do you think like for for yourself, for your family, for Monica, for the fest, like what is it that you see as the next, you know, the next step for you, or the mm -hmm. next, is it is it now just a progression, like building on mm -hmm. building on what you've already what we've already done with the fest, and mm -hmm. just trying to step it up even further, get get our profile even bigger, like staying on here. Do you want to? make another feature, yeah. you know, what, how, do, what, what do you see as the next, the next thing for you and for your family yeah. and for your creativity professionally, like all of those things? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, for the festival, you know, going back to your, your previous question was it, it, the festival had been sort of a best kept secret, um, beforehand. Everyone that came here was just blown away. They loved it. I think the staff here was doing a great job. They got the they got the thing in a, in a sound financial footing after a deep recession here in Bend, um, so things were you know I, I inherited in a, in a pretty good spot. Yet, I knew that it had just so much more to to grow. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that you know even just nationally with filmmakers, l let alone you know how local more locally. Um, you know, the fest could become a part of the town or whatever our programs would be, could be part of the town's culture. But, you know, like I knew that all these filmmakers that I were working on would kill to, you know, to show their movies here. And so, um, I, so I, I knew it, it had a long way to go or it, it you know, there's really it no could ceiling. Much higher. It could there's go, no ceiling right, to, right. you know, what really could happen here. Okay. Um, you know, the only thing is, is, you know, we want to retain the character of the fest, which is celebrating a really cool town, having filmmakers be accessible to audience, because I think for both people, filmmakers and audience, like the interactions are, are what moves both parties. Like, let's say a filmmaker comes here and loves the town and, you know, loves the other filmmakers that come here. But it doesn't really interact with anyone. You know, they don't get that feeling that I was talking about, right, you know, right. that, that appreciation. Yeah. Filmmakers will um, remember that always, you know, that they, had, they met so many cool people, so many people right. passionate okay. about film, so many people that encouraged them to keep going. Because as a filmmaker, you're always thinking, you know, on this level, 
as an independent filmmaker like I was, you're always thinking about when do I give it up, you right. know? Right. Um, and people could be doing well. You can get a Netflix show and it's still like, mm, I don't know if this is going to work financially. I got kids now and all that. So right. that sort of feedback keeps people going. And I hear it every year. The filmmakers just love, you know, the people in this town. So, and then likewise, people in the town, you know, love the filmmakers that are coming right. in and really appreciate that, you know, the, the, the greater quality of programming that we've been able to develop, uh, especially since Eric... Jambors come back on board mm -hmm. as the yep. uh, programmer. You know, people are really appreciating that and loving the filmmakers. So, you know, I, I think more people will uh, in town will you know uh, want want to experience that as well. And so the audience, I think, you know, has right now. If we don't add any venues, we could still double the amount of yeah. you know exactly this yeah <laughs> exactly. So. Our screenings are never empty, but on average, you know, we could um, we could bring in you know twice the amount of people. So there's right. tons of audience room to go, and uh -huh. there's even adding venues, so that can even get bigger. And you know, and obviously, the more filmmakers can come. Um, so uh, there's still a lot a, a long way to go, but I would say, you know, there's a lot of room for growth. And yeah, and the festival capacity. alone, you yeah. know, and a lot of room for growth still. Um, Which is exciting, right? I mean, that's totally. But now, I mean, you know, so now we run our own cinema. So right. every day, we're pretty soon going to be showing three movies every day. And that is incredibly exciting. I mean, that right. is like, you know, Eric and I are just, um, and, uh, you know, and Abby and Tracy and our staff and everyone that's currently working at Tin Pan is just so excited to just have this thing where we play with and, and we just, you know, every day we all come up with about, you know, five new ideas to do. Like, you know, <laughs> That's all awesome. the stuff. That's and everyone, you know, that we've heard from about us taking over the Tin Pan has been like, oh, finally, this is the perfect, you know, everyone's just like, this is perfect, the perfect marriage of space and you guys. And, you know, so I know that, you know, the audience is going to be really hungry. Uh, people in Ben are just going to be really hungry for the stuff that we're going to do. Because cool. we're going to do a lot of cool stuff. I mean, there, there's... Um, there's a lot of good films being shown here and you know in the tower and McMinimins uh -huh. and um, in at the Regal as well but you know there's so much opportunity to to have a lot more fun and and to have more education programs and classic cinema and you know a lot of that stuff Ben people um, don't yet have the um, uh, what am I said the the, the ability to experience right now or like the venue to, for the that, venue right? for like, that exactly that's, that's right. now what the tin pan yeah. is going to be that programming that cultural programming is not currently offered here locally and so you know with 100 years of cinema i right. mean there's just there's no end in things that you can do that'll be interesting and that people mm -hmm. will be interested in is which which is great that's cool. so audiences. as we kind of come to the end of our time which mm -hmm. i cannot believe we've already burned through I told you the I time didn't. we had <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do a part two i think mm -hmm. on this but is there any particular thing certainly the tin pan theater purchase has been a huge yeah. exciting addition mm -hmm. um anything else like that that or just something yeah, that you've see, always I, wanted to be able to to share mm -hmm. that um final thoughts well, the only thing I could think about, you know, something we were talking about earlier before the interview, and I think we're going thematically on, you know, about the show is um, potentially 
you know, where created, where creativity takes you. I think, you know, people watching or whatever have the same question. They're, they're, they have jobs and, and some security or need some security and, but have a creative interest. And um, I know I certainly needed a lot of uh, motivation to quit a very secure job to, to do film or whatever. Um, and so, you know, like, I, I think the only thing that I could say that might be instructive to someone who's in the same position is, um, you know, it, it's really interesting to see where you end up, um, you know, when you're talking about pursuing dreams or interests or whatever, you, you would just never expect it. Like when I quit my construction job, never would I have thought in 10 years that I'll be running a film festival. Right, like that right, just, right. But I, I would probably say, and I, I think I could be, I'm being 100% honest, is that I would rather be doing this here than if I was like a filmmaker. You know, that if yeah. I was making a decent, you know, like right. a, a living as a filmmaker, I, I can't envision being happier in that position. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, like if you do have this creative interest that you should find some way to pursue it. Like mm -hmm. never put it on, sh on the shelf, never, never not do it because you can't do it all the time. Um, because my, my thing is very gradual. Like, like I said, I was shooting a feature while working, you know, 30 hours a week as a construction manager. Right. And, even then it was incredibly hard to quit and I'm glad I never did quit outright to do something to jump over a cliff that I really didn't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to learn about filmmaking when I, once I did it and it, you know, so it was good to have a job there and it, it sort of kept me motivated and stuff. And, but I would say, you know, like the big kind of overarching arching philosophical thing would whatever, whatever doesn't feel right that you're doing to not, uh, to stop doing, <laughs> you know, it's like that, you know, there was, um, I was raised Catholic and, um, you know, there's, there's some great scholars like Thomas Merton and stuff, but you know, their definition of sin is basically something that, you know, there, there's no, these hard, fast rules, but it's whatever you're doing that you just know is wrong that you're not paying attention to, or you're, you're bearing, you know, like that's a, it's, it's you doing something that's not who you are. Right. And there's okay. this other guy, James Martin, who you'll hear on LPB every so often. Um, you know, this great Jesuit priest is pretty cool. And, you know, he wrote this book, um, kind of taking this Thomas Merton philosophy and then the book's called Becoming Who You Are. And it's sort of all about mm -hmm. self-discovery. And I, and I would, I would say like the best things about creative pursuits that any creative pursuit is essentially a pursuit in figuring out who you are and what makes you tick. And that's why I love when I talk to kids in classrooms here about filmmaking right, and try right. to get them introduced, interested in making movies and future filmmakers and stuff. And I say, and I learned this from Caldera, you know, Caldera is fantastic at, you know, having kids be, you know, using art to become more self-aware, especially underserved kids who, who do not receive, you know, exterior, um, uh, validation validation yeah. thank you yeah and then well if I'm doing this myself and this is pretty good you know like it's so 
confidence building and, and character building, you know, and, and through that, you know, you, you do sort of, this is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Everything else that society, whatever else is telling me I should be interested in, you know, like, right, that's right. not, wow, this is interesting. This is interesting what I'm interested in, you know, <laughs> like like, pursue it because you are interested because in you are it. interested. And I know that, you know, I'm, this is nothing on my parents, but it's just kind of how the neighborhood we grew up in, you know, very Irish Catholic, um, you know, there, there's a, a few things you do. You become a cop or a fireman or, uh, right. or, you know, some of the people that filmmaker, are more money. Filmmaker was not high no, on that list. No, there was one dude in the neighborhood <laughs> who was a knucklehead. It was a great guy. But it was a goofball. It was the only person I'd ever heard of before that wanted, you know, like was making movies. This right. guy um, we called Dennis the Menace, who lived down the block, and he was a goof. <laughs> but you know, but he's the only one that. Well, oh, you want to be a filmmaker? That's weird. So that kind of right. always. But there was no one else in the neighborhood that would have done that. So right. there was, and there were no artists I knew. There were. It was you know, like even musicians. You know, like not until later in high school or college would people actually really pursue. Um, you know, we had four dudes that I went to grammar school with that started this band, and they were like the only guys I know that really played musical instruments. So like that was the only creative totally, people in your whole neighborhood. You know, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it just what wasn't part of how we were raised or whatever. And um, what was the sorry? What was the book you mentioned? Becoming. Uh, bec- I believe it's called Becoming Who You Are. Becoming Who You Are. Yeah. Is it? Do you, would, is that a book you would recommend to people? Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't care. You know, and the, the greatest thing about Thomas Merton is, yes, he's, you know, he's a, um, he, he was a Catholic monk. Um, gosh, it's been a while since I've read, but I'm a big Merton fan. In fact, I wanted to write a, a biopic about him because I think people, unfortunately, don't know about him. But um, um, he, his later scholarship is mostly in, you know, Sufism and Zen and Buddhism and stuff. Oh, wow. So he takes, he takes this really mystical view of Catholicism or, you know, of Christianity, I guess. And, and really, you know, I was reading his journals. He's like, I got more in common with Sufis than I do in this, with this monk who's next door to me, you know, and like, because he was going on this big broader picture of the mystical realm. And I think, you know, this book is, it's probably rooted in some, you know, Catholic Christian things, but um, it, it's more about, you know, it's about self-discovery through some sort of spiritual pursuit or some, some connection with mm-hmm. the other. And it's, it's mostly like connection with other people, mm-hmm. you know, okay. um, and, and, um, and sort of a greater, a greater, um, um, like super conscious or conscious. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know, like atheists could get a ton out of this book. Right. It's not. It's not super, super religious. But it's not in this, rooted in like Christian theology. It's yeah. more. It's I mean, more, I think that stuff is re- referenced because that's right. the point that's of view his, that you right. know, say Merton and Martin are coming from. But um, it's uh, it's really just informative about like you know how do you catch yourself sort of. Um, lying to yourself, you know, mm. like what are, what are sort of the signs of, of things that say you're doing or pursuing that, uh, that really you shouldn't be. Right. Right. You yourself know, there's no outside force telling you, there's no, you know, 10 commandments and there's no God damning you, you know, and that's like the big thing is like, you know, you can look at, 
evangelical Christianity. It's always like, you know, there's these right. rules and God's damning you. And it's like, no, you're, you're damning yourself, you know, like that's, it was really interesting to hear that. Like, how to identify, hmm. you know, we're so focused on rules and things like that, but, you know, it's a way to kind of get in touch with yourself and knowing through yourself what your own, your own barometers are for, for good and bad. We all know it, but we all, right. you know, you, you, you don't, you push that, eh. I'll get and better that's tomorrow. where, like, you, you think again. the the pursuit of creativity, the pursuit of your artistic passions, like those are the things that help you get through the nonsense and get through the yeah. noise to get to the signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I guess you'd say, you know, because let's say I have a creative mind that, um, or I just have this kind of mind where creativity is the outlet for that. And I, I shouldn't mm -hmm. say that and that's definitely not for everyone, right? Because people um, are just more open about their feelings and things like that. That's not me, right? And, and I would say more often than not, that's how artists are, right? We, we don't really know how to clearly communicate our feelings to people. Right, it makes it right. very uncomfortable. Um, most just people our, are bad at that. <laughs> most people are, but there yeah. are some people that are really good. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I was reading some article. I used to like Howard Stern because I just, I, I couldn't imagine talking that honestly about myself publicly, let alone to millions of people. Right. So anyway, you know, people that are creative, I think you have some sort of interpersonal, I'm not going to say defect, but uh, deficiency that, that makes it sound negative. I'm sorry, but I can't think of another word for it. Right. So the way that we express ourselves is creativity. You know, we have a more you know, um, abstract way of, of communicating. People can, right, right. are really good at communicating directly a lot, but, um, you know, artists need to communicate abstractly. And frankly, that's really needed in all human experience because the brain is so complex right, that right. sometimes concepts or whatever else have to be presented to someone very abstractly and then it makes sense, you know, because we have a lot of barriers come up. If someone tells you something directly, there's a lot of defensiveness mm -hmm. that comes up and you can't absorb what they're trying to say even though, and then they'll draw you a picture and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, Todd, thank you for sitting down and talking with me today. And Thanks, I think, man. I think talking about how creativity lets us explore who we are and what yeah. we're trying to figure out and make connections with people, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a perfect place to wrap this up, I think. So. Good. Thanks, man. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having All me. All right. All right.